1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from my fabulous friends. Hey everybody, my name's Adrian, and if you're listening to this silky, silky, smooth voice, you know what it is, you got yourself another episode of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Welcome back, one and all. So happy to have you back. At the time of recording, I'm recording this on the very first of December. We have made it to December. Where did the year go? I mean, I know where the year went. It, <laughs> I was thinking about like, oh man, this year just kind of flew by. Yes, it flew by. And also, it has been a long, grueling, brutal slog for so many. Listen, we made it to December. That's all that matters. We made it to December. If you're listening to this, uh, it's probably on the heels of a really fun episode that I had with Blair over at Talk Purity to Me. We had a whole episode around purity and modesty and all of the bullshittery that we were handed uh, within that framework. And let me just say, that was a great time. I've been meaning to have Blair on the show for ages and uh, to be able to do it better late than never. It was as fun as I expected, more fun, honestly, than I expected. Um, she's a great human being. And so thank you for all the great feedback. I had a lot of good feedback from that. And it's just been really cool. Uh, I'm trying to think in, in the world of Adrian's life, I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving if you all uh, celebrate it can be awkward. It can be weird. And many people don't give a shit about Thanksgiving. All of that is fine. And if you're not in the States and you also don't give a shit about Thanksgiving, that's equally fine as well. I got to spend some time with uh, the in-laws whom I really do love. And most notably, the day after is national, is, our, is the annual, the Gibbs annual Christmas tree day. We got our Christmas tree. Very expensive. I, I was genuinely blown away at how expensive uh christmas tree was i'm sounding like a like a like a boomer i sound like every single boomer that i know these christmas trees are costing more and more every year <laughs> uh anyway it's, it was very expensive though let's be real it was expensive i'm like i've always been i grew up with a fake tree and i've become a bit of a tree snob once i kind of went out on my own and i'm like i'm living on my own outside of my parents house i'm like i'm never gonna go back to a fake tree uh, I kind of get it now. I mean, from a financial standpoint, it is certainly wiser to do get to get a fake tree. That said, I can I just reveal something to you all, Ben Apples. I've been like, I've been thinking of moving. Alyssa and I, we've been thinking about moving the family out of South Florida. And I know for many people listening, you've been listening for a long time. That's probably not a surprise. Y'all are like, yeah, you've been shitting on South Florida this entire for the past three years, and it's. True, you're not wrong. But it's it's I'm like really kind of feeling like, you know what? There's just this the 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 winds have changed, you know? The tide has turned. You can just, I just kind of feel 
this overall sense of like, there's a new chapter in life. And I kind of feel like my time in South Florida is like slowly coming to an, I don't know if that means a year, multiple years. I don't know. Hopefully not like six years, hopefully sooner than that, but I'm really starting to kind of kick the tires and, and consider other places. It is tough. That said, living in South Florida, I'm, we were going to get a tree. Like I said, I, I don't love having back sweat. Y'all, do, do, does not everyone develop back sweat when looking for a Christmas tree? Is that not a common national experience? Is that not a global experience? Maybe it is for some, but where I'm at, it was, it was brutal. I was like, I should not be getting, <laughs> I should not be needing to apply sunscreen uh, while I'm shopping for my Christmas tree. In my opinion, I come from the Northeast. I kind of got used to South Florida, but I'm like, I don't know, man, I'm feeling it. I'm really feeling it. That said, like, it's kind of tough because there are a number of qualifications that I think Alyssa and I have. We each have kind of have our own separate lists. From a sheer experiential standpoint, it would be nice to, to live somewhere with seasons. All four seasons. Nuts. I know. It would be great to have all four seasons. You know, it, it probably couldn't be a place that doesn't have a whole lot of sunlight. Like certain parts of the country just don't have a ton of sunny days. And that is one thing that I really love about South Florida is just how much sun we get. Uh, it would be great to live someplace where perhaps we could have like a yard. We live really, really right on top of our neighbors. And it's been fine for the past number of years. But, you know, in Fort Lauderdale, you know, big yards aren't that common. And it would just be great to kind of have a little bit of elbow room where like your neighbor can't see what you're cooking for dinner. Like, oh, that looks great. <laughs> It'd be great if it was slightly more affordable than Miami, which Miami sets the bar pretty damn low. So it probably wouldn't be too difficult to find a place that's more affordable to live than Miami. But all of those things together make the, the, the pool of options slimmer and slimmer. And then if I'm being honest, I would love a place where I'm not the only brown guy at the grocery store. In South Florida, it's incredibly diverse. I, I absolutely love it. That's probably my favorite thing about favorite thing. My favorite thing about South Florida is the diversity, and that translates into diverse relationships and diverse food, like diverse activities. There's just so much cool stuff to do, um, and so all of those things together, I know it it makes for possibly some slim picking. So I don't know. Listen, if you're like, hey, I live in the exact you just described my city, please hit me up. Please let me know. Let's talk for real. Let's talk. Speaking of Christmas time, there's something I want to share. Wilder decided that he wanted to cut out like Christmas decorations for his window. He wanted to do a little craft where he cut out snowflakes and taped them to his window. I mean, I'm, I love a DIY moment. Let's do it. Sounds great. He cut it out. He stuck it to his window. Looks awesome. And he goes, Dad, Dad, you know, it'd be really great. I want icicles to hang from my window. And I said, Hey, I mean, we're on a roll. I think I can probably cut out some kind of ad lib. I can freehand some icicle shapes. And so I cut out a bunch of icicle shapes and my varying shapes and sizes. And my idea was I was going to tape them right up against the bottom of the windowsill. So they kind of hang down. And when I went to go do that, he's like, no, no, I don't want you to do it. I want to do it. And I go, Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, just stick it you know, under the, under the windowsill right here. And he's like, no, I want to do what I want to do. Go away. <laughs> he's like, basically leave me alone now. I'll take it from here. So I let him do what he wanted to do. And it was great. He was pleased. And when I saw it, uh, felt interesting, namely because 
if you are familiar with the shape of icicles, icicle shapes look like icicle shapes if and only if they are in a line hanging from a flat surface. Individual icicles kind of just stuck to a window bear an uncanny resemblance to snowman dicks. That's all I'm saying. My windows are just covered in snowman dicks. And it's festive. It's great. I, you know, wouldn't have been my first creative choice, but I respect my son for making it. And I'm going to back, I'm going to back him. So if you're ever in South Florida and like you're driving through like the Fort Lauderdale area and you see a house just rife with snowman dicks, that's probably me. Tap in and say, Hey, well, enough about snowman dicks. Uh, I want to start talking about my next guest, but before I do that, I actually got this interesting, um, inv- invitation, uh, for an for a podcast sponsor, really interesting uh, sponsor that I think is going to be pretty rad. This is a sponsorship for like a creativity sponsorship. It kind of helps like creative songwriters within the evangelical sphere specifically. I know that's not typically uh, kind of what I do, but I found this pretty interesting. So check it out. Here's a word from our dirty rotten sponsor. Hey, worship leader. Who me? Yes, you! Are you tired of having to write worship songs for your congregation? Do you feel like you're just gosh darn out of ideas? <laughs> you could say that again. Well, do we have just the thing to unlock your true worship songwriting potential? From the makers of Date Me Jesus, we are pleased to present Worship Dice. Worship Dice? What in the darn tootin' world are Worship Dice? Worship Dice is the multi-sided dice pack that will give you all the tools you need to write that next worship hit. Just roll each of our specialized dice and the rest is music history. Roll the element die for a nature reference. Whoa, I rolled ocean waves. Now roll the God die for one of the many names for God in the Bible. I got Yahweh, gnarly. And last but not least, roll the two attribute dice for generic words that are statistically proven to get your congregation on their feet. Awesome. I got grace and group woes. And there you have it, friends. It's simple as that. With Worship Dice, you've got song inspiration for every Sunday morning. Just add a little synth beats and perhaps an Australian accent and you are ready to go. But don't take our word for it. Listen to this new hit single, Yahweh Ocean Grace. If you're here tonight and you believe God is in this place, we want to hear you sing it. Come on, church, let's sing it. Yahweh, we worship you. Your grace is like the ocean tide. Your waves lead us to you. Drowning in grace, we're totally drenched for you. Sing it out, church. We're totally drenched for you. Are you totally drenched for him tonight? Totally drenched for you. Now that's what I call a powerful worship song. But wait, there's more. If you order right now, we'll throw in the Jesus Love Ballad Dice Pack. Heaven above knows you are my love. Won't you wrap me in your strong arms tonight? Jesus, my love, send grace from above. All that I want is to be in your life. 
as well as the Easter Sunday worship pack with a spoken word instrumental break. You say, there's no way that that stone was rolled away. But I'm here to tell you, church, on this Easter Sunday, you don't need no Easter bunny. Whoa, that's right. That's a thousand dollar value, all for seven easy payments of $89.99. Order yours today. I sure will. <laughs> Thanks, Worship Dice. Accessories sold separately, Australian accent not included. Man, that sounds really exciting. Worship Dice. Super, super cool. Super, super cool. Now I want to tee up my guest. I had the privilege and opportunity to chat with an actor and director and producer and overall creative named John Huertas. Most notably or most recently, you may know him from the show This Is Us. He played a character, Miguel, as well as doing some directing for the show. It was really trippy and surreal and uh, a lot of fun just to chat with him. We talked about his story. We talked about creativity. We talked about This Is Us. We really just kind of ran through it. He he comes from um, a Catholic background, which is, I think, maybe the first Catholic uh, guest uh, Catholic backgrounded guest with the Catholic background. You get what I'm trying to say. Uh, and so that was really cool to kind of talk through that. And obviously that's very different than so much of kind of the kind of North American evangelical kind of sphere that many of our listeners hail from. So I'm not going to talk too much more. I, I really want you to get right into it. As always with these conversations, right? These are conversations with real people who are expressing their own previous experiences, as well as how those past experiences shape how they currently exist. So none of this is prescriptive. This is all descriptive. Um, the idea being that we're all in a different spot, all experiencing different phases of belief and unbelief. And maybe um, some of the things in these stories, they come up, they bring up like genuine harm. They bring up genuine hurt. If that's something that you feel like you can kind of entertain and kind of experience, by all means, listen ahead. I think you're going to love the conversation. If it's not for you, it's not for you. You won't hurt my feelings or you won't hurt John's feelings. You could skip to the next segment or just skip this episode altogether. You know the drill. Um, but if you do stick around and give it a listen, I think you're going to really enjoy it. So without any further ado, this is my conversation with John Huertas. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. My next guest is an actor, director, producer, and writer. You know him from the hit NBC series, This Is Us, or perhaps the ABC series, Castle, just to name a few. Bad Apples, let's give it up for John Huertas. <sighs> That's what I imagine is happening. Perfectly timed. Perfectly timed. We nailed it. Yeah. That's either happening in someone's car right now as they're driving down a freeway or <laughs> at the gym, wherever they listen to podcasts. I guarantee you that I can guarantee it's going to happen. How you doing, sir? Thanks for being here. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. I'm a, I'm a fan. When you reached out and you were like, hey, like we could chat. I was like, oh boy. Oh man. 
got a little nervous, <sighs> you know, got a little nervous, but incredibly excited because I'm like, no kidding. It's cool whenever you see people or when you hear about people who you know of, and then they're like, I might actually have kind of a, a similar story in some way or another, or, or there might be some similarities despite all of these contextual differences. So that was super, super exciting to me. So yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to have this combo. Yeah, I, I found you guys uh, originally, uh, you know, on Instagram. I was actually scrolling through Instagram. That's where I first uh, came across um, to you guys. And then uh, I was very curious about your podcast. So I've listened to several episodes of your podcast. And I was like, I, this is someone I'd love to have a conversation with because, yeah, where you guys kind of uh, lie in the spectrum when it comes to religion and non-religion. I, I, like, I like, you know, a lot of the ideas and a lot of the ways uh, of approach that you guys have. That means a lot. That means so much. So, John, I want to jump right in. I always ask, I guess, the same questions. I would just love to know if you were a church kid. And if so, what did that look like for you within your context? Can we talk about that? I was a church kid, yeah. You know, um, I consider myself Afro-Latino or, uh, you know, you know, I, I grew up um, Catholic. That's uh, kind of a prerequisite when you're a Latino kid. Um, and uh, I was an altar boy. So, yeah, I was, I was pretty much a church kid. I went to a private Catholic school until eighth grade. Um, and uh, then I was in public school for a while. And then I also went to a Christian university for a little while. Um, and, yeah, so I've been kind of inundated with Christianity in some form or another for, uh, you know, for up until I decided it wasn't for me. Um, and the first time I decided it wasn't for me was actually when I was about, well, I mean, I think I started deciding at about six, seven, eight, but you know, you're still in the church and you're still going, I'm still in a, in a private Catholic school. Uh, but I didn't do when kids found out that I wasn't doing confirmation, they thought I was going to hell. They thought there was something really wrong with me. I think they thought I was possessed. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, because I think that's when, uh, you know, uh, movies like Carrie and The Exorcist were coming out, uh, where, you know, there were like like demon possessions were like the, the cool thing that happens in movies. And so these, I think other kids thought like, you know, that's what was happening. There's got to be some reason he's not doing confirmation. Right. I'd love to talk about this. A lot of the listeners and a lot of the guests we have on come from kind of more kind of like the white evangelical kind of corner of the evangelical bubble. Right. Myself, I'm Filipino and, and the Filipino religion, it's a very Catholic nationality just as a culture, right? Oh, yeah. So this past weekend was my birthday and I, and I went to a, an area called Temecula here in California. And uh, I was hanging out with my two, two, two best friends from the, from the Air Force when I was in the Air Force uh, and they're a Filipino. And so I've been, I didn't have any other family in California when I, when I moved here and they were my family. I mean, all the kids now that are grown and have their own kids still call me un uncle. And that's a, definitely a huge thing in the Filipino culture. Uh, and, you know, because they take people in, they love and feel like they're a part of the family. But then they're like very uh, religious. But it's funny because they're, they're religious, but they still are wild. I mean, they still do <laughs> like wild things. They don't, you know, uh, for instance, uh, when my friend's wife got her uh, new boobs, uh, my friend was like, you know, asking people, do you want to see them? They're really they're great. They're really cool. And I can't imagine a white evangelical saying, you know, hey, you want to look at my, my to them, it's normal. They're still going to go to church on Sunday. They're still right. like, you know, 
don't believe they're going to go to heaven or whatever. But. That's, that's a really funny story. I, I, I feel like there is something to be said about kind of cultural Christianity. I know so many folks who their Christianity was more of a cognitive ascent, this sort of theological, doctrinal, um, very academic focused. Right. But I do think that there is something to be said about a lot of folks who are brought up culturally within kind of the warm blanket of Christianity. What, what do you think it was kind of in your experience about maybe like the Latino community or, you know, in my example, like the Filipino community, what is it about kind of these like pockets of culture that find Christianity so appealing? When I think, look at, you know, the black community, the Latino community, the Filipino community, you know, these are communities made up of indigenous people, uh, people indigenous to Africa, people indigenous to North and South America, people indigenous to the Pacific Islands. A lot of people, I think, from uh, uh, the aspect of, of people of color, um, for them, Christianity has been there, given to them as a way to justify the suffering they were going through in this life, mm. n- knowing that in the next life, uh, God promises it's going to be, you know, a kingdom of heaven and, and you're going to uh, ascend, but you just have to suffer this, um, which is the, you know, um, disease and, uh, you know, slavery and the separation from culture. Mm. Remember, you know, the, the, the Tagalog people, the Filipino people, uh, the, the other indigenous tribes on the island, they had their own religion, their own language, their own last names, you know, not you guys. In the Philippines, they have similar last names to everybody in the in Latin America. Yeah, so the yeah. Spanish was pretty good at colonizing. So, um, you know, they erased all our names and our culture, our religions. Um, and so I think that a lot of it is co- it's comfort. It was given to us for comfort as a blanket. Like, yeah, we know we're, we're fucking your whole world up, but here's a blanket of God and Jesus to help you understand why it has to happen. Mm. Because then, now you're going to be able to ascend. And that's been mm. many, many, many years of going back and forth with uh, trying to, you know, a- asking the tough questions of myself and then sometimes of um, nuns and priests and pastors and people that, uh, you know, when I was really little, I might get a, a nice knuckle uh, hit with a, with a pointer, with a wood pointer for mm. asking a dumb question to, to them, a dumb question. But, sure. uh, you know, I, I started asking questions from a very young age. Let's talk about that. When you, you so you said you were really young and it was at that early age of like six or seven, I think you said when it was kind of like, this is not jiving, but of course, right. It's cultural and there's family and there's connections and community involved into that. Um, what was it even at that early age that when you were hearing it, you're like, mm, I don't know, don't buy it. So I thought when I was a kid that once I started getting let off the hook with the other things that I was taught were real as a kid, like the Tooth Fairy, Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, uh, fairies, like all the things that, that, you know, my grandparents and, you know, that people, uh, you know, had me believing. Once they started to be unveiled, I then thought, well, maybe this whole Jesus, Mary and Joseph and God thing is also something that I should be let off the hook for. And, but nobody was doing that. And I, but, but to me, I think, you know, yeah, I think it was maybe I caught one night my grandmother like putting the dollar and under my pillow and taking the tooth. And I was like, what? What is this? Uh, <laughs> you know, is tooth very sick? What, what, why are you subbing? Uh, and so I, uh, I think that, 
you know, I learned a very early age because in my neighborhood, like, you know, a lot of, uh, I think, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I never got to talk about the birds and the bees from any parent. It was always the kid, the older kids in my neighborhood or older relatives. And so I already knew kind of about sex as a, as a pretty young age. And so when um, I started thinking about Mary, I was like, wait a minute, she got pregnant. How, she, she, divine intervention what and then like you come to come on I was, so the, but i never got let up the hook um and then i thought i started to distrust also because you know when i would get in trouble as a little kid they were pretty abusive and we did have a a, a priest in my school get in trouble for uh you know inappropriate behavior with one of the students uh, a little boy and you know i was thinking these are the people that have been telling me to believe all this stuff and I've already been doubting that, but then these are the people responsible for me while I'm here all day long. Uh, are they are they even telling me the truth, and are they even qualified to be watching me and all these other kids? Uh, you know, these are things that I just would that would just circulate in my mind, and I started getting very skeptical. I think that you know I'm, I would definitely call myself somewhat of a skeptic, um, but that's I think where I got out of feeling like the Catholic church was right for me or that, or that this, um, you know, this dogma was, was, was right for me. Was there anything once you were like the the Catholic kind of denomination isn't for me, was there any kind of residual need to stay within the evangelical umbrella, the Christian umbrella or like what happened after that? So not really. I just started kind of living life, uh, day by day and making sure Look, I, I always liked the positive stories that were in the Bible, but I like positive stories that were in a lot of other books that I read too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how the, 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 the stories that teach us how to treat one another, the stories that were uplifting. That, I liked that. Always liked that. When I became a, a, like a senior, well, actually, before I was a senior in high school, I think like 10, end of 10th grade, I got a job. I got a job at Sears at the mall. And I was selling hardware and tractors and stuff. So I was a poor kid. Growing up until high school, when I got a job, suddenly I'm a rich kid because, and I have my own money. It wasn't like an allowance from my rich parents either. It was my own money, you know, because yeah. I was getting commission checks and things like that. So I felt like really confident at my job at Sears. And that confidence would translate into when a cute girl showed up and was a new uh, employee of Sears. I felt like I should be the ambassador uh, to our company <laughs> in a store, not only because yeah. I'm going to be the one that, that's going to teach you how you know, the politics of this store works, but also I should have first shot at the cute girls because I'm like top salesman. Like I should, you know, <laughs> I should be the first one to ask them out. So uh, I met this girl, you know, she was, there was a new girl and I, I met her and she was, she was older than me. Uh, I mean, I think I was 17 at the time. She was 22. I was just trying to get to know her. And I think as soon as I found out she was 22, I was like, you know, I, all right, too old for me. She's, you know, it's not, it's not even legal. But she was very curious about me and about my background and my religion. And she asked me if I was Christian. And I was like, yeah, sure, of course, I'm Catholic. And she looked me dead in the eye and she said, no, you're not Christian. Catholics are Christians. Uh, uh. I was like, uh, what? No, I'm definitely Christian. I was baptized. I had my first communion. Like I mean, I'm definitely these bruises on my knuckles would say otherwise. I uh... exactly, and, and, the, <laughs> and those calluses on my knees from kneeling and standing and kneeling and standing and kneeling and standing. Yeah, yeah. But that also made me very curious. Why would you say that? Mm. And 
she kind of took me down a path, I guess, as a seeker. And I became and told me that, you know, the, the, you can't be a Christian just because you're baptized, just because you had first communion. You have to ask Jesus to come into your heart, born again type stuff. Yeah. You have to ask him to come into your heart and save you. You're not saved, so you're not a Christian. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but my ears are open. She soon introduced me to her husband. They had this uh, Bible study type of thing, and they belonged to this church, and they had this kind of traveling basketball team. They found that I could play basketball, so suddenly I'm on their basketball team, uh, and I'm going over to their house on Friday nights and sometimes weekends to eat dinner with her and her husband and learn more about Jesus and the Christian denomination. And uh, there was... And I, and I did it. I mean, I literally spent uh, time asking Jesus to come into my heart. And, I, and this is actually when I learned about the power of the mind, in my opinion. I convinced myself that, yes, I felt Jesus come into my heart, tell me you're saved. I went running to them and let them know. They were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You're now a Christian. Oh, my God, that's amazing. And one day, I, was, when I, I would go over to their house like almost you know every weekend, if not every other weekend, on Friday nights and have dinner and we talked and I played basketball on Saturdays with them and all this stuff. So I went on a Friday and her husband's not there. And I'm like, Oh, where's Chris? And she's like, Oh, he's on a retreat. Oh, okay, cool. Um, but we're still having dinner. She's like, yeah, of course, come in. We have dinner we talk this and that. And then after dinner, I'm sitting on the sofa. She jumps me. She like jumps on me, like tries to make out and like get with me. And I'm mortified. Yeah. Because I was at this point, like, I'm a Christian. I'm going to do this. I'm, gonna, I'm like, this is the path I'm going to follow. And so all everything that she had done from the moment I met her was undone in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it made me then again not trust the person who's telling me these things about Jesus and God and all that stuff. And so then I was at that point done. And then, I, then it, soon after that, I went into the Air Force. And I spent eight years in the Air Force. And when you get into the Air Force, from what I remember, and it's just also depends on who's like, you know, indoctrinating you into the Air Force. I had to choose a denomination of a religion to put on my really? dog. Really? I didn't. Yeah, on your dog tag. Yeah, on my dog tags. They were like, you have to choose. And I was like, I don't really believe. And then pick a team. Whoever was telling me, yeah, told me I had to pick a team. So I picked Catholic. And then once you get into the Air Force and the, the threat of conflict is going on, you're getting deployed, which ended up happening. You know, you think, oh, I'm, the mortality uh, sneaks up on you. And you're like, I can mm. die. And what's going to happen to me? Me and all the other guys that were supposedly Catholic, we started going to our pastor. Father Muldowney was his name. He was a you know a captain in the Air Force and chaplain and all that stuff. And we started you know seeing him very every weekend. Every so often we go is to to like it's not really a rectory in the you know in the uh, in the Catholic Church. The priest is a rectory. But he had like it was like an office, a chaplain's office, right? So we go to the chaplain's office and. Um, you know, he'd break out his new computer. He'd say, he, like, he had one, one of the first laptops ever made. He's like, look at this new laptop. And it was like that thick. And he was like, this, this thing is amazing. You could do this. And, you know, if you guys heard of email, you can actually send people messages. <laughs> email was brand new. And we were like, oh my God, it's amazing. Uh, and then he showed us, he I got a, a Mercedes, a silver, must, a silver Mercedes. And I'm like, hey, look at my new Mercedes. Come check it out, boys. You can take a ride, you want to drive it and all this stuff. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, but wait, priests, give up all their worldly possessions. And here he is just spending money, getting himself a computer a thing. And he always had like new toys and gadgets and stuff. And then one day we go to see him and he's not there. And we're, they, they're going to, they're waiting for the next priest to come to his assignment. Uh, meanwhile, you can go to one of the other chaplains if you like, if you really need to talk to someone about Jesus and God. We found out that, that he 
unfortunately, very sadly, was diagnosed with HIV. And that was from sex. And, you know, he was a closeted gay man. Again, my mind blown, like, like to me for many years, since I was a kid, no one was who they said they were. And that's kind of what always knocked me back off the track is that I mm. feel like, you know, I could never trust. And, to, and, I, and I think about it, the odds of almost everybody in my life in the religious search that I had as a, from a kid till now, the odds that so many people would end up being so distrustful and not who we, we think they are. Very similar to what's that church that Justin Bieber and those guys are going to that that pastor and you know we look at we look at certain uh, you know people and we go you know we see the curtain sometimes fall and that's there is no Wizard of Oz and you're like what and so that happens to me more often that's happened to me more often than not and a lot of my friends wow man so much of the first of all I'm I'm really sorry about all the different ways that you've been kind of hurt within I mean so many of us have right this is like a story that is entirely unique to you and yet it feels so fucking familiar when <laughs> right. you go from kind of church kid to church kid but it doesn't make it any less hurtful and any less painful and so I'm, I'm sorry you experienced all that stuff for for you when you saw that and you're like this this isn't obviously this doesn't hold any water right how did that translate i would love to kind of bring this into kind of the more current era of john like how much of your faith, was there any faith? What happened when you kind of transitioned into kind of the career that you find yourself in now? What role did it play? I served eight years in the Air Force and I had always wanted to be an actor since I was in second grade. And I can tell you 100% with honesty that I've actually never, I would say there's another, there's one more moment of seeking when I, when I would be uh, called a seeker, I guess. But before that, I, I didn't, I never prayed on being an actor. I never prayed and said, you know, this is what I want, God, whatever. I, with tenacity, became an actor. The one, the one most meaningful person in my life, uh, and I, don't, I was going to show you something, I don't know what my wallet is on it. I, I, I'm going to show you something. But the one most meaningful person in my life that I think had the biggest impact on my um, ascension in this career uh, to, from, from, you know, wanting to be an actor to becoming a professional actor is Woody Harrelson. No kidding. Yeah. And Woody, so while I was in the Air Force, uh, you know, you're told, honestly, like my best friends who I was hanging out with this weekend, Filipino friends, reminded me that when we were, you know, in our early 20s, and I was saying, I'm going to be an actor, they would laugh at me. And they literally brought it up this past weekend. They were like, we remember when we, when you would tell us you were going to be an actor, and we were like, that's the most ridiculous thing we've ever heard. And they were like, and look at you now. Yeah. And I remember just always saying to them, this is what I'm going to do because this is in my heart. And it was 100% of, of my heart as an artist and being a performer. And so uh, while in the Air Force, though, you get bombarded with the pragmatic ideas and the pragmatic approach to life. And, and it comes all, it goes all the way back to my parents, my grandparents, and you know, even them saying, you'll never be an actor. You should, have, you should be an architect. You should do something that you, it is going to be um, pragmatic and that you, where you will be able to, to start a family, raise a family, have a home. Uh, all that stuff. And no one thought that being an actor was that. So I would always go back and forth like, hey, uh, I'm not going to be an actor. I'm going to be a cop or a fireman or something. I was just going to lean into something law enforcement or service, uh, you know, in service of people in some way. And that was me that wanted to do that. It wasn't even like, you know, Jesus in my ear saying, man, you should, you should protect people, save people. So I was always vacillating. And one day I was at this um, 
club. My, my company is called West Side Stories. And a lot of people go, oh, you're Puerto Rican and West Side Story and it influenced you. I go, no, there was a club that had four different venues inside of it at, in Texas because everything's big in Texas. So the building was big. So they, they had to put four clubs in there. And in this club, I saw a woman. I said, you're not from around here. This is, and, and she was like, that's the worst pickup line ever. I go, no, seriously, I'm looking at you and you don't look like anybody from Fort Worth, Texas. And she was like, I'm not. I'm from Santa Barbara, California. And I was like, oh my God, I've dreamed of living in California. I want to be an actor. She's like, oh, you can do that. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I hope, I hope to one day. I'm going to. I mean, I, I study theater and all this stuff. And I go, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm the road manager for this band on stage right now. And I look up there and it's Woody Harrelson. And he's a lead singer of this band called Manly Moondog and the Three Cool Cats. What? That's the card. No kidding. This is 1991. Yeah. And, and he was White Man Can't Jump. Yeah. He was in theaters. He was on Cheers at the time. I loved him on Cheers. White Man Can't Jump was one of my favorite movies. I told you earlier, I played basketball. And she told me, why don't you come up to the green room afterwards and hang out? I was like, green room? There's a green room here? And the green room in this place was huge it wasn't just like some small little room where people hang out it, the green room held like 30 40 people big and so while up there uh hanging out with her uh this is her card um so yeah I pulled her digits um so woody's walking around and he comes up to me and and dawn and, and she says hey woody this is john he's an actor like you and i was like no what, what, no no i'm not an actor like you man said, that's crazy you're amazing i love Wait, I can't jump, and I love everything you do. I mean, you're so talented. I can, I'm, I'm please don't, don't compare me to Woody Harris. I'm not an actor like you. I mean, and he goes, are you an actor? I was like, I want to be. He goes, no, no, no. Are you an actor or not? You're either an actor or you're not. Sure. He goes, good. Because if an asshole like me can do it, you can do it. <laughs> Most profound. It's more, it's, that statement is more profound to me than anything I've read in the Bible. Mm. And then he signed this card right here on the back. Cheers, Woody. That's been in my wallet since 1991. This, whenever I was wavering in my belief that I would be an actor one day or a performer or anything at all, this is what I would pull out of my wallet and I would look at it and I'd look at Woody's signature and I would remember the phrase, if an asshole like me can do it, you can do it. That is the path that I followed. Jesus, his name is, it's spelled wrong. To me, Jesus is spelled (laughs) W-O-O-D-Y. (laughs) <laughs> that's right i mean that, what, what a cool story and did you ever i mean have you ever reconnect with woody to kind of tell him how much of a impact he's made yes so that's another uh section of the same story i um you know moved to california not too uh far after that that was 91 i moved to california in 95 i uh had my first like real kind of serious job in 98 uh but you know guest starring and recurring on other shows doing a couple movies for that steadily working my way up the ladder, which was, I was very lucky to um, be able to start pretty early. And then um, I got on the show called Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I uh, was a regular on that. And I was got invited to play in this NBA entertainment league. So the NBA used to have this basketball league called the NBA E. And it was like, you know, me, Ice Cube, Snoop Dogg, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, all, there were people you would not imagine as a part of this league. Uh, yeah. um, Adam Sandler, uh, Woody even, like all these people. Uh, Jamie Foxx and we would do traveling games. We had a league we played every weekend. Um, we would do all-star games. Uh, we'd, we'd be like a celebrity all-star game before the actual all-star game. It was crazy. But we'd do these pickup games, which were amazing. I'd get a call from what we called the commish of the uh, NBA E-League. Zane was his name. 
and he would say, "Hey, Johnny, we're uh, we're playing some pickup ball today. I don't know if you're around or available, uh, but we're playing at the Staples Center. What? Uh, pickup basketball at the Staples Center? I'll be there. <laughs> and so yeah. I would, you know, go to the Staples Center. We go to the Forum, and then there were these uh, uh, courts in Santa Monica. And sometimes it was like a private high school or something like that. But there was this, um, these new courts in Santa Monica that had just been built." And, he was like, hey, we're going to play outside. Is that okay with you? And I was like, sure. Cool. We'll see you in Santa Monica. I show up and Woody's there. Woody never played uh, pickup. And so he was there and, and we um, would guard each other because he had the same skill set I did basically. We're the same height. And, you know, he'd guard me. I'd guard him. Played about five games and then we had to take a break because we're all just actors. We're not uh, pro ball players or even college ball players. And I was sitting next to Woody. We talked a little bit about, you know, maybe a steal, maybe a block, maybe a foul, something like that. And I said, are you going to be here for a second? He's like, yeah, well, I want to show you something. And I ran to my car and I grabbed my wallet and I pulled that card out and I tucked it in my sock and I ran back to the courts. And I slid in beside him and sat down and I said, hey man, have you ever heard of this band? And I held the card up and he saw the same thing I showed you, three cool cats. And, and he was like, uh, Manly Moondog and three cool cats. And he was like, where the fuck did you get that? Oh, my God. And I told him, uh, you know, you were playing at a club in Texas. And I was introduced to you by Dawn, a woman on this card. And, and she told you I was an actor. And I told you I, I would, could never be an actor like you. And you said to me, if an asshole like me can do it, you can do it. And he said, well, that sounds like something I'd say. I said, you did. And you signed this card. <laughs> and uh, I showed him that. And he was like, wow. He goes, wait a minute. Are you the, like weren't you like a military guy? He remembered. And I was like, yes. And he said, what the, f wow, you are, an, you've done it. You're an actor. Told you. I was like, yeah, man, thanks. Thanks for my career. Wow. What an amazing story. It's, there's two things that as you were talking, I, I thought of about a lot of the stories we were handed as people within kind of the church system, right? The first thing is that all good things come from God and God only. So creativity, uh, you know, talent, everything comes from God and God is the only thing that it comes from. And then the, the sole purpose of you having something is just for you to redirect it back to God. Please God. Take yeah. Any, yeah. Yeah. Please God. And the second thing I thought of was like, I was always brought up that like Hollywood was like the devil's penthouse. <laughs> That's what Ron DeSantis thinks too. <laughs> right. Exactly. Makes sense to me being here in Florida. That's where all my whole family's there. Okay. There you go. So we're in Florida, uh, Tampa area. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the Fort Lauderdale area. Oh, cool. So to hear your story, it seems to, in its own way, kind of fly in the face of so many of the stories that we were handed about things like where does creativity come from? What is creativity for? And, you know, the, the Hollywood machine. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, well, you know, first of all, the Bible that all of us uh, kind of were taught from is the King James Version. And the King's James, to King James Version was a, a rewrite. King James was losing control of his realm, of his people. You know what I mean? So we know that religion helps to con curb people, control people. I, did, I tried to avoid using the control word, but I got to use it. If, he could, if you write it in a way to where everything you do, whether it's good or bad, is either it's because of God that you've got success. It's because of God that something bad happens. It's part of his plan. It takes responsibility away from the people. So then, if people if they don't if they feel like they aren't responsible for themselves at all or aren't responsible for their actions, it's whoever is 
interpreting the word of God or, to, or receiving the word of God. Remember, a king back then was appointed by God. There's, to me, always been a control aspect to, to these stories where everything is for God. Now, I'm, you know, I'm non-theist. And for me, I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about afterlife or thinking about pleasing my imaginary friend. But if there is a God and an afterlife and a Jesus and all these things, I think I'll be, you know, obviously surprised. But I also feel like the way I live my life without religion, I still love to do good things for people. I do good for goodness sake. I don't do it for a check mark or for, you know, any kind of... um you know, status in the eyes of God. I do it because I just want to, I want to see someone smile because I did something nice for them. Or I want to see, I want to treat people well. I want to like be truthful for myself. For me, I'm not being controlled by anyone. And I'm not being, um, I, there's nothing for me to ever hide behind. Something good happens to me. It's because someone gave it to me. And then that person will, I will be indebted to. Or maybe I worked really hard for it. Hmm. Like, like being a, uh, an actor, a working actor. And if anything bad happens to me, it could be my responsibility. It's not my responsibility. It's this other person. It's not because uh, Satan sudden, somehow slipped up, up my butt and took me over. Um, it's, okay. you know what I mean? It's like, it's because I messed up. I made a bad decision. I made a bad choice because we're all capable. It's interesting is that on one hand, so much of the faith you are handed is incredibly personal, like it's your own personal relationship with Jesus. You have to say the right stuff, behave the right way, believe the right thing. And if not, it's like your personal ass is on the line. And yet it's on the other side of faith where like you actually develop a healthy relationship with the self. It seems like, you know, yeah, your skill and your effort and your ability and your body, right? We were so disembodied growing up. I feel so many of us to then be able to go, my body's pretty amazing and it can do some pretty cool shit. Oh yeah. Totally. You, you were in, in Catholic religion, we're taught to almost ignore our bodies and how it's changing. At, at best, if not like straight up punish it. I feel yeah, like. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you do not masturbate, you are punishing yourself. Right. right. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, for me, um, you bring up the word faith. Sometimes when people find out I'm non-theist, they're like, so you don't have any faith? And I go, I absolutely have a lot of faith. I have a lot of faith in humanity. I have a lot of faith mm. in myself. I have a lot of faith in my friends and my family. Not everybody in my family, not, not all of my acquaintances, but I have a lot of faith in people. But I do have the ultimate faith that humanity will end up writing itself, taking care of itself, becoming better at treating one another. And I feel like we'll do that because enough time has gone by since Jesus supposedly died for our sins that God and or Jesus could have, you know, stepped in on a few things and said, you know what, we didn't need to have all those people killed at that school. Yeah. We didn't need to have all those kids shot up. Or we didn't need to have, you know, Putin invade Ukraine like he's doing right now. God could get, because Putin goes to church every Sunday. What's up, that? What's mm -hmm. up with that? You know what I mean? Like, that's where I go, well, who, I have faith in, you know, Zelensky and what he's doing for his people. And I was not abandoning them, not leaving Kiev. Or when there's a, a natural disaster, the people that went in Florida, you know, uh, went to help people that were stranded in trees and on top of houses. And the, that, those are the people I have faith in. That's what I, that's what I have faith in, that kind of humanity. Mm. And I don't, not in a magic wand or a magic hand or, you know, a magic gesture.
Right. I think that's a, a lovely thing to live by. How, how has that, maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. How has that sort of outlook, kind of the belief in humanity as an experiment and as an experience, how has that informed your work, whether it's acting or directing or storytelling in general? I mean, usually the kind of stories that I look for uh, as a director or as, um, or, you know, I have a writing partner, we write and produce and the stories that I like to find. In fact, we have a podcast that we're uh, developing right now that is about, you know, on the face of it, it's about aliens and whether or not they visit our planet and stuff. And in our pitch, one of the things we say is with our podcast, we want to ask the big question, the tough question, are we alone in the universe? And the story is about this father and the son who have kind of been separated for 15 years. The son hasn't seen his father and had much contact with him because the father's been afraid of exposing him to the possible danger or whatever. The father thinks he's protecting him. But we say in this pitch that we, we learn through this father and son that we're not alone in the world, that we have each other. And that to me is the pinnacle of like my philosophy, faith in humanity, we have each other. So those are the kind of projects that I like to, when I, when I, as a creative, as a, uh, you know, and a creator, that's the kind of stuff I want to do as an actor, you know, especially being a person of color at the beginning of my career, I had to really look for stuff that, uh, where people just hire me. So yeah, I had to play a gang man. And I, you know, at this point, I never take on those kinds of roles because I don't want to, you know, glorify uh, that kind of lifestyle um, at all. But if you think about even This Is Us, it was a, you know, this is a show about family uh, overcoming everything in life by leaning on each other and love, you know. And then the same, you know, even like a, a show like Castle is, it was always uplifting at the end of an episode you never you know you we rarely left an episode where people are emotionally hurt or anything like that and even going back to like you know this project right before castle was one called generation kill where the title is scary enough you think like the word kill is in the title uh but it was about you know the invasion uh of iraq and just what these marines how they were alone at the tip of the spear the small little unit they had to rely on each other and keep each other motivated, keep each other uplifted, you know, and survive uh, this this ordeal. And you know, it was about them believing each other and and uh, having faith in one another. So that's the kind of stuff I like to see, like where people just we we lean on each other. You know, there was one point in my career where I was a seeker again. I went through this horrible breakup. Before that, I crashed my girlfriend's car and. Insurance wouldn't cover it. So it was like eight grand. Uh, I have a first birthday party ever in my whole life. And at the beginning of it, it started at two o'clock. At two o'clock, my, one of my best friends, his girlfriend, opened the gate to my yard. My little dog ran out and was ran over by a monster truck. Oh, no. Uh, nearly killing her. And it took $10,000 of my money to save her. And she was in a oh, body God. cast. And she was like in a hospital for almost three months. And before that, I hadn't been working for about 18 months. To 24 months like I had been like like where the fear of losing money was huge and mm -hmm. so you know I had all the, and then I had this crash and the dog and like there's a big like big swaths of money going away and then the girlfriend and I had big breakup and instead of leaning on people because I had you know been on this kind of upward kind of swing um I tried to like hide it and take care of myself and uh I lived in my truck with my two dogs 
wanted a body cast and uh all my stuff in the back of my truck with a tarp over it and tied down and I was living like that for about 10 days until I decided you know I just have to I just have to put it out there I got to ask my friends who I got to let my friends know what's going on and with that you know they will be seeing that I'm asking for help and that's what I did with one of my friends and he was like come I have a stay here you, you, you know what do you and you know what? He helped me figure out what the next step, what the next move in life was, you know, to, to make me feel good financially, um, which was like, you know, I had this house that I bought with her and the money was going to come out of it from the sale. And he was like, I'll, I've got a project you can invest with me and my boy. That'll give you a, a ownership in something and you'll you know, have something to work for. And, and we started remodeling it. And that's how I met my wife because she was the first, my wife that I've been with now for 18 years, longest relationship with a, with a, per, with a person like, you know, as, as a, as a girlfriend or wife or the longest one I've ever been in. And it's, you know, one of the longest relationships of my, you know, life besides my brother and sister. I met her because of this gesture hmm. right before I met my wife. I had thought, well, maybe it's because I don't have Jesus in my life. All this bad luck is going on. Hit up my boy. I had a best friend who was in that NBA league. He was in the NBA league because he was, Somewhat of a pretty famous uh, Christian rock star. Okay. You don't have to name drop if you don't want to. I just might know. I'm just curious. Well, his name is Paul Duncan, but he was in like a group. It was him and his buddy. Paul Duncan. That name rings a bell. That's like a CCM name. He started his own church and everything. It's actually called no kidding. Centricity uh, Worship. Okay. He wrote on uh, Lauren Daigle's album, by the way. Okay. But he was a good friend of mine. I always thought he was the coolest Christian I'd ever met. First of all, the most honest person. I've ever met in my life. I said to him, you know, as a non-theist, like, how, you know, I don't, I don't understand how you really like believe in all this, like, so, you know, wholeheartedly. Like, don't, don't you ever question whether or not any of this stuff is real? He's like, absolutely, man. I question all the time. Uh, I wouldn't be a good Christian if I didn't. Hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. No one's ever said that to me before. <laughs> I remember he had been saving himself sexually. Ah, true love waits. Yeah, and so I met him. <laughs> true love waits. Exactly. I had met him in his, I think, twenties. He was in his twenties, and I was early thirties. And he, um, uh, he hadn't had sex yet. And I was like, "Dude, you're punishing yourself. Don't that part of the Bible? Don't don't pay attention to that." He's like, he's like, I, I don't know, man. He goes, "I just want. To, I'm just saving it for you know my wife." And I was like, "Bro." And then he went on tour with another band, and they were in Europe. And I get a call. Middle of the night, because for him, it's, you know, early morning. Sure. It's middle of the night for me. And I happened to be woken up by the phone and answer it. And he was like, John, it's Paul. I'm like, what's up, man? I thought you were in Europe. Because I am. I had to call you. Last night, I had sex. And <laughs> he was like, thank you. He goes, I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't. <laughs> and he was like, this is, I mean, that was the most amazing. And he goes, but I've got work to do. I've got practice to do. Because I used to tell him, do you want to be the guy who's never had sex and you end up like with your wife on the first night? And it's a horrible experience for her but and or both of you. Like you want it to be a magical. You want to like make each other uh, really happy physically. Uh, which will make you very happy emotionally and which will lock it all in. Don't you want that? And he was like, anywhere I was like, well, I think it'll be like that. And my first 10 times doing it, I was, it was rough, bro. 
still <laughs> learning. Uh, and so he was really excited that, uh, that he did. So anyway, I called him and I said, hey, man, I had all this bad luck in my life. I'm thinking of my, because I don't have a Jesus. I, go, I was thinking about going to church. And he was like, oh, my God, let me take you. And he took me to like the church that he thought would be perfect for me. And we went uh, to this church. And when you're coming out of a breakup and you're going to a church with nothing but like, like hot single women going that are like pursuing Hollywood careers and song, you know, songwriters and singer songwriters and all these people. Like, it's not the right time to be like trying to really figure out if Jesus is real or not. But when I did pay attention to Pastor Mark, man, I, it didn't, it, it wasn't making sense to me. And then there was one, uh, and then he talked about premarital sex and that being a, a, a no-no. And there was one one sermon, man. It was about homosexuality, and there was a homosexual contingent in the church. And he put basically put them on blast in front of everybody. It was very uncomfortable because they were shifting really? in their seats. Yeah, they were oh, shifting no. in their seats, and you know you can always tell when people want to look and see what someone's reaction is. I told you, Paul and I used to sit in the back so we could scan. So I was in the back, so I see the back of everybody's head. And I could see everybody's head just kind of slightly turn a little bit towards the center section where a lot of the gay men, maybe lesbians sat as well. But it was very disappointing mm. to be in that room. And that was the moment I was like, nah, I'm not a seeker anymore. I'm good. Yeah. And that was my like second attempt at born again Christianity. Got it. I know we're coming up on time and I want to be respectful of your time, John. Um, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't spend some time talking about this is us, like Let's this go. huge icon in kind of like television history, it just, the, the series finale was, I believe in May. Yeah. And then you had directed a number of episodes, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to just kind of talk a little bit about kind of your experience with this is us, maybe, you know, kind of how you feel on this side of it, knowing how much it, you know, means to so many people even now. So, I mean, I think even talking about this is us will kind of somewhat tie into a lot of the stuff I've already said because of what, you know, a lot of the messages that we ended up getting from people about the show and how it affected their lives and what it did for them and how it pulled them out of dark places or um, made them appreciate their loved ones. It did a lot of the things for people that they say religion is supposed to do for people, you know, uh, which is makes me feel really good to be a part of uh, something like that. I mean, it's one of those things that it's like, maybe I want to go out on top. Maybe I don't ever want to be on a series again as an actor. Uh, And that's why I'm directing way more. Like I'm directing from, I've been directing since we finished basically once television started season, I'll be directing all the way into January. I'd rather like be behind the scenes because how can I ever, how can any other show live up to what this is us was for for me as an actor, for uh, viewers, it's, it's going to be really hard. I'm sure it'll happen, but it'll be really hard. It might not happen for me or in my lifetime. You know, it touched a lot of people. Social media allows us to have a direct connection to our audiences now these days. And when I started, we didn't have that. It's really a wonderful thing for a lot of people go, are, are actors that would go into this business because we're, we live with a certain level of insecurity. When you can, you know, almost as a partnership, have this relationship with them, with with the audience where they are serving you in a way, like helping you through any of your insecurities. Am mm-hmm. I? It, am, is what I'm doing? Am I any good at this? Uh, should I be doing this? Um, and then they, you know, kind of reaffirm that to you in a message, a beautiful message on social media. And at the same time, they're telling you, 
what you did with your character or what you what, what this story did for me or uh, what this episode did for me and my family and what you know it brought us closer together we watch it together every week and we never did that with any other show or you being a caretaker for a woman who's uh, dealing with dementia uh, and alzheimer's like that's exactly what i'm dealing with and the way you guys did it and you you know the, like that kind of stuff makes me feel so good yeah like i said i almost don't want to be in front of the camera because I, I don't i don't want to fall short of that again you know what i mean but that's the insecurity. And hopefully all those audience members that watch This Is Us watch my next thing or if I'm an, if I'm an actor or, or even as a director, you know, it's, it's you know, I've only been directing, um, you know, I started directing technically in like 2009, but, you know, uh, big shows like This Is Us, The Rookie, things like that. Like I'm, I've only been doing that now for three years. So I, I'm still new. I'm still insecure about that. Mm, mm. The people who are flocking to the show, they're going to be flocking to the show because the character of Miguel is like a fan favorite. What, what was it about that character that was really important to you? And I'm sure over the number of years that probably became more and more complex in your relationship to that character. But what are some of the things that really resonated with you? To me, the character was really important because there, there is a lack of representation uh, in front of the camera for really strong, positive uh, male role model adult male Latinos, it was important to get that right, to have Miguel be a very successful, very ambitious, and a very loyal family man. I think at the beginning, people questioned maybe, is he a loyal family man? Because they didn't know how this relationship came to be. And I love the the way that Dan Fogelman and the writers were able to really make this character's journey complex. And that's not the way that... Uh, adult male Latino characters are developed much in this industry. There was a study that Columbia University did two years ago that, you know, the least developed character in television is the adult male Latino because they usually are in menial jobs or they're narco crime bosses or, and every rung below that, you know, last time we've seen like a really uh, strong romantic lead for me that was impactful that, that something that someone or some character that I still think about was Andy Garcia and when a man loves a woman back in the day, you know, and that like, you know, we don't have shows like master of none. We don't have our marvelous Mrs. Maisels. You know, we don't see characters that look like me going through those types of stories. Now, Oscar Isaac, uh, doing, you know, some amazing uh, work and telling some phenomenal stories. Um, but a lot of the times his characters can be ambiguous, which is nice. I mean, it'd be nice if we don't have to talk about diversity. That's hopefully the future. That's what I'd love. Love to see a world where we don't even talk about it because it's not a problem. It's not an issue. But that's why I'm directing this so that I can get behind the camera and I'm developing so I can get to the decision makers and hopefully one day become decision makers so that we're seeing more stories that are reflective of society. I want my story as a adult male Latino to touch not only other Latinos, but everyone. I want to see, I want them to see the commonality between us all. I want them to see the, you know, a, a universal story that we all share sometimes. And a lot of that comes down to family, love, loyalty, heroics, that kind of thing. I love it. I love it. John, where can folks connect with you, consume your work, support you in any way possible? Can you tell us all the things? Give us the plugs. All the things. I'm not really good at the things. I have social <laughs> media. I have uh, Instagram and Twitter. And that's just at John Huertas. I think my TikTok is still at, under, at John underscore Huertas, but I don't really do much on TikTok. But, you know, I'm just directing. You can always go to imdb.com. 
and you can see uh, what I'm doing next. I'm directing and uh, developing a couple of podcasts and um, television series. And I'll be directing a feature film next year. And Love it. This has been really great. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for taking the time. I'm so appreciative of the work that you do. Um, you know, come back anytime. I want to hear more about aliens, you know. <laughs> I will. I mean, <laughs> I actually believe more in that than I do in the God theory. So. <laughs> I mean, I get it. <laughs> Thank you, John. I appreciate this. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. <sighs> good chat. It was a good chat. Told y'all. It's been neat interacting with creative people. I know we're all creative, but as a person who really, I really love the process of creativity. And I love talking to people who are excellent at their craft and who have a lot of experience within that craft. Kind of go, how does the cookie crumble? Like, you know, tell me about how you did this and how you do this and, and your thought processes. And I, I think when I look at, you know, maybe the future of DRCK and kind of where I would love to see it go after all the, the places it's been over the past number of years. One thing that is very interesting to me is to really explore like the people behind the stories. And yeah, like we can certainly talk through kind of some of these experiences that we have coming from evangelicalism and some of the stories and the pop culture references, and we can pick apart some of the ideologies and we can kind of culture it out when we see it. But then from there kind of move to how we exist and interact with the world as people. Because we're so much more than our belief and our so much more than our disbelief. We were so much more than our evangelicalism. And I believe that we're so much more than our deconstruction. I think many of us, evangelicalism was, it was like our personality. It was like our whole identity. And I don't want to like get into this routine of feeling like my post-evangelicalism, my ex-evangelicalism, my deconstructionism, whatever you want to call it, that is my new personality. Because it's not. We're so much more than our beliefs or lack thereof. So this was a cool to me, it felt like a cool way to kind of get that ball rolling as far as how I interact with guests and the sort of guests that um, I bring on moving forward. So thank you, John. That was an absolute pleasure. Come back anytime. Well, folks, I think we did it. I think it's time for, you know, the last segment of the night. This is a segment that you know, you love it. And it's called Sip, Smoke, Read. Sip, smoke, sip, smoke, read. Hey. So you know we read that shit. Hey. shit. Only sip the finest party lit. Hey. On my couch and I be so up. All right, everyone. So if you don't know the segment, this is a segment where I just do a quick rundown of all the things that I'm sipping, smoking, reading. What am I relaxing to and enjoying? What am I taking part of to get through this thing called December 2022? I'm watching Christmas movies, y'all. I'm watching Christmas movies. I started watching, I watched the new Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds movie called Spirited Away. I didn't realize it was a musical. People are like, you should watch it. It's fun. And then I watched it and it was a musical. And I love musicals, but I'm trying to decide if I liked Spirited Away. Only because with Will Ferrell, it is very difficult to tell if what he's doing is seriously earnest or if he's doing it in a tongue-in-cheek manner, if that makes sense. Like, the music was good and the performances were good, but I was like, I can't tell, like, if you're joking. 
And if, if you're being serious, it seems like you're joking, but it seems like you know that it seems like you're joking. Just watch the movie and I think you'll get what I mean. Like I can't, I couldn't tell if you were being earnest or not, or if I was supposed to be in on some sort of joke, or if you were poking fun at the musical genre. I, I don't know. But some of it was really good. I will say that. Some of it was really cute. Also, I've never been a fan of cheesy Hallmark holiday movies. Like the small town executive comes home and falls in love with the incredibly attractive coffee shop owner or something. Um, I had never really watched that. I'd seen like kind of like popular Christmas romance films. I've seen The Holiday, right? I've never just seen kind of like this like widely produced, like mass produced sort of kind of formulaic ish hollow, like Hallmark holiday movie. So I watched my first one um, in a long time and it was called the Noel diaries. It was fine. And it pretty much was exactly what I expected it to be. You don't take it too seriously and you watch it and then you laugh at it when it feels cheesy and then it ends happily and everyone hugs and, and smooches and it's like, okay, all right, great. I will say if these movies are being released in December, I doubt they're filming them a year out. Maybe they are. But if not, if they're, if, if they're releasing the movies in December, when do they actually film these? Are they, are they like filming these in August? And you're just like sweating your ass off pretending for it to be Christmas? Because that seems, it makes sense, but it seems kind of funny. Um, as far as watching, I am caught up on White Lotus season two. Blair from the last episode gave me a heads up, said the season two was outstanding. And I'm here to vouch. It is great. If you're not watching... White Lotus, it's on HBO. Watch it. It's, it's great. And this season has the one and only Harvey Plaza, and she's absolutely phenomenal. So watch it. And I was thinking about this. I don't... So the segment is called Sip, Smoke, Read. I rarely talk about a book that I'm reading. Uh, I don't really smoke anymore due to my own lung issues. And I'm, I'm kind of reining in on, on sipping. I like haven't really been drinking a ton, uh, namely because like it, it's been nice to to like not be dehydrated when I wake up. I feel like I sleep better when I don't really drink. I still do drink, but like I don't do it as often. And man, if like 20 year old Adrian could see me now, I'm like mouth taping so I can sleep better and breathe through my nose. I'm like supplementing with magnesium and I'm like freaking wearing toe spacers to help with my plantar fasciitis, hashtag Adrian only feats. It's absolutely wild. The new iteration of myself that has happened uh, since turning 30 i'm 33 at the moment so anyway that's pretty much it y'all not a lot of sipping a lot of not a sm- not, not a lot of smoking not much reading but a lot of binging and that's pretty much it this has been a really good episode everyone that's i'm gonna leave it there i have nothing else to say i'm gonna leave it there if you would like to continue supporting the show please please leave me a rate and review that means a ton on itunes and spotify uh, you can give me a follow if you go to dirty there's links to tiktok instagram and twitter feel free to give a follow there. If you would like to support me directly, as well as supporting my new producer, Del Breezy, you can support via Patreon. Uh, There is a Patreon page where there is a patron-only Discord. It just hit our second year anniversary. That's pretty amazing. I've like heard of a Bad Apple group of people that have all moved to like the same city in Iowa just because they met each other because of DRCK and they became great friends and now they're all like living close together. That's amazing. Um, I don't know if Iowa's for me, but I'm, I'm gonna, I might add it to my list of places to move to. But it's been really great to kind of hear some of the stories and all the friendships that have created. And even for people who join the Discord 
and then they like they leave the Patreon. They don't really feel like they want to. They don't need to continue supporting, and that's totally fine. But those friendships last. You know, a lot of those friendships stay, and that's been great. And I've been absolutely thrilled to feel like, in some small way, I've been a part of that community. So, um, if you support the Patreon. Uh, I do a bonus episode a month, whether that is uh, interviewing one of the bad apples, just kind of riffing or reviewing a movie or something. Uh, And then, of course, as I said, there's access to the Discord. If you want to pick up some merch and support the show that way, you can go. That link is on DirtyRottenChurchKids.com. And uh, oh, and then send me an email, DirtyRottenCK at gmail.com. I'd love to hear if you have any questions for the bad apples, good questions segment. Feel free to send it written or a voice memo to DirtyRottenCK at gmail.com and just leave in the subject line. Bad apples, good questions. Well, that's it for me. I'll once again thank you to my guest, John Huertas, for taking the time to chat with me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you all for listening to this. We have one more episode this year, and then I'm taking a break. I'm taking a break for I don't know how long. I'll probably go into, I might take like a few weeks to a month, maybe two months. I don't know. I'm playing it by air, man, playing it fast and loose. But yeah, we're coming towards the end of the year, and this has really turned out to be a, a special season of my life to use kind of some evangelical language. It has been a very special season. I um, I wasn't going to say this, but it, it's one of the first times that I've really done something on my own. I think one of the kind of the terrifying aspects of creating in any space is, is feeling like you're doing it by yourself. And uh, whether it was like in my entire life, as far as I can think of every single creative venture I did, I did it with kind of the safety net of a band or other people or a team of people. And this is the first time where it's like, I've kind of stepped out and done this thing by myself, for myself um, in recent months. And so thank you. Thank you so much, everyone that has supported me in this process. It's meant a lot and it has salvaged 2022 for me, if I'm being honest. So um, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A million times. Thank you. Thank you for support. Thank you for listening to this show. Uh, You're loved and you're appreciated. Love the dirty work, everyone. And remember, it's all going to be okay. A big shout out to John Huertas for joining me. It was a pleasure and an honor. We have only one more episode of the year, and I think you will enjoy it. Thanks to all of you bad apples for your support and kindness. It means a ton. Take care of each other and tend to yourselves. Take up the space you need. Take the rest you need. Put up the boundaries you need. And take no shit. I adore gas station television me myself personally. It is the intersection between information and gas. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.